I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. Since he hit the basketball court for the Denver Nuggets 18 years ago, Carmelo Anthony has been one of the NBA's biggest stars. This season, he teams up with LeBron James as he joins the Los Angeles Lakers, the sixth team of his professional career. Yet another stop in a career that includes college basketball national champion at Syracuse, 10-time NBA All-Star, and three-time gold medalist Olympian. In his new book entitled, Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised, Carmelo Anthony goes back to the beginning, to the dangers of growing up in the housing projects in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and West Baltimore's Murphy homes. There's a lack of hope in, in those environments. And when you have that, it's hard to focus on school. It's hard to focus on playing sports and, and, and staying out the streets when, you know, a lot of times you don't know when your next meal gonna come. People don't understand what it really takes to be that and to live that and to go through that. In this conversation, first recorded on September 14th for Washington Post Live, Carmelo Anthony talks all about going through it to live a dream. Carmelo Anthony, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you, thank you, thanks for having me. Of course, so in your book, you write about the dangers of growing up in the housing projects of Red Hook, in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and and West Baltimore's Murphy's Homes, AKA Murder Homes, which is the subject of HBO's The Wire. And your daily life was so dangerous that your brother, you write your brother once escaped a shootout only because the armed drug dealers paused to let him pass. I saw in the, the, the video that you'd put out um, announcing your book, and in it you say, you spend all this time talking about basketball. And now this book is not about basketball. It is about your, about your life and your coming up. Why did you decide that now was the time to tell your story, that side of Car- Carmelo Anthony? I just think it, 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 it makes for, uh, it, it fills it out the whole spectrum when, it, when you talk about Carmelo Anthony as a, as a person, uh, as a basketball player, as a, as a human. Uh, everything that I've I've been through, all my experiences, uh, you know, it 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 led. It, it just it put me in a position where I'm I'm able to you know speak back and give people some insight, some advice, uh, and 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 bring them into a world that a lot of people are afraid of, a lot of people are intimidated, uh, and and I was there. I was I was a cornerstone of of you know, of, of my community and, and being there and understanding and being able to speak that language. Not too many people can speak that language of, of, of growing up in those environments. So I, I think the time, the time it was perfect. Also, it was, I thought it was time to kind of let people into my world and, and understand the beginning of it. You know, for so mm-hmm. long, everybody understands and only knows, you know, the day that I got drafted on forward. They don't know what, what I had to go through and what I've been through. Uh, in, in order to get to that point. You described to success.com about what you dealt with in, in your neighborhood and you get into in your book as a teenager and you said, quote, it was like, I know her, I know him. He's getting high over there. Oh, so-and-so just got shot yesterday. Oh, cool. You become immune to that environment and you almost start to become a product of your environment. It feels like another lifetime, but I'm so connected to that world that I feel like it was just yesterday. And when I read that quote, I, 
I just wonder, I'm going to ask you this now, how hard was it really to go back and put these, memory, these memories down on paper as an exercise for you, but then knowing that the world will read what you've written? It was, it was, uh, it was challenging. I would say it was challenging as far as I had to gather up all of these stories and talk to different people so that they can validate the stories that I was talking about and stories mm-hmm. that I was saying. Uh, and and, and kind of just, you know, just growing up in, in that in that type of environment, like I, I always knew that and felt that, you know, like the help of my community kind of like gave me a lot of strength. Um, I knew I knew my environment. I knew where I was at. I knew what was going on, but it just felt like life. It didn't feel like it was it was hardships. It, we all was dealing with the same thing. We all going through the same thing. So you had to rely on your friends and your family and your neighborhood and your community. Uh, and, and that then it was very community oriented. I think we lost a sense of, of that community now uh, in, 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 in certain environments and certain places. We, we lost that, you know, in, in the hoods now, you can't, the, the, the elderly parents and the elderly grand, you know, mm-hmm. the grands and all of that, they, they used to tell us to get in the house. They, you know, even if we wasn't, we didn't belong to them, you know, they looked out for us. They took care of the neighborhood. They took care of the block. I think we lost that, you know, now there's, there's not a level of respect there no more when it comes to uh, the elderly people that's in those neighborhoods. So that's something that I, that, that I was missing that I, I miss now just going back into those environments. But I also, again, I said it earlier, like I'm I'm able to to really, really truly speak that language. You know, I, I understand that language. I understand that that, you know, the, the the ghetto language, you sort of say. And a lot of people shy shy away from that. So I, you know, I just felt like I am that, I come from that, and I, I want people to understand I'm not trying to shine light on on or, or, or make excuses about growing up in those environments. I just want to really show you and tell you and, and walk that walk and talk that talk mm-hmm. on where I was at and what I had to go through in that journey and the things that I had to overcome to get where I'm at today. I mean, I, and I hear everything that you're saying and you speak the language and you're still connected to, to the neighborhood and to the neighborhoods where you were raised. But at the same time, you took a path that a lot of people living in those neighborhoods can't take or or won't take. And so I'm wondering, how did you insulate yourself to keep yourself focused on your goals, focused on basketball and away from the dangers that were all around you? Well, again, that's the that's the hard part, because when you when you end that, it's hard to stay on a on a straight course. It, I mean, you a lot of people don't have goals and, and, and dreams. You know, it, it, there's no hope. There's a there's a lack of hope in, in those environments. And when you have that, it's hard, you know, it's hard to focus on school. It's hard to focus on uh, playing sports and, and, and staying out the streets when, you know, a lot of times you don't know when your next meal going to come. You don't know, you know, what, what, what's going to happen. How are you going to get to school, transportation? What are like you really surviving day to day? And I, I think people, people overlook that. People don't understand what it really takes to be that and to live that and to go through that. So to make it out of that, it's, I'm, I'm able to sit here and, and tell you that part of my story where for so long, maybe I didn't want to tell that story. Maybe I didn't want to tap into that story. Maybe I didn't want to bring people in, into that world of, of, of mine. 
but I, I, I it helps me out now. It, it, it allows me to kind of, you know, I, I, like I feel like I got a reignited passion now, you know, when, when it comes to just understanding that, that, that lifestyle and those neighborhoods and, you know, talking that talk and being able to still be connected into that environment, to the people, uh, because I feel like just because I'm not there doesn't mean that I should just shy away from it. Like I can't shy away from it. I got family there. I got friends there. I still go back to all of these neighborhoods, and I, you know, I feel I feel very comfortable with with being in those environments. Once again, I'm able to speak that language, and even in the position I, I'm in now. I'm still able to speak that language uh, organically and, and 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 you know and naturally. I mentioned the video promoting your book uh, earlier, but one thing you talked about in that video was about suffering from depression and carrying things from your childhood to your adulthood. Talk about why it was important for you to talk to talk about those struggles. Is it about telling people back in the neighborhood that um, it is it is okay to talk about depression? It is okay to to seek help. That this is not something that is. Uh, foreign to the neighborhood, foreign to black people, to put a you know, more specific point on it? Well, it, it was foreign. It, you know, it, that was foreign. It, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't show those signs of weaknesses. You know, you, you couldn't walk around saying that, you know, you was depressed. And again, I didn't know that I was depressed. You don't know you're depressed. I think everybody in those environments and those communities are depressed. They're dealing with some type of, you know, form of depression. So it's not something that we that we're, we're cognizant of. We're not aware of that. So it took me now to write these books and tell these stories to understand like, damn, I was, you know, I, I did go through depression. Now that I understand what what the definition of depression is and, and what what happens and the, the effects of, of depression. So and also the mental health aspect of it all, too. You know, you there's no way you you know you're not dealing with mental health if you if you're dealing if you're living in those environments. I mean, you're dealing with you know poverty at at, at the lowest level. You're, you're dealing with you know survival at the at the highest level. You're dealing with you're you're just in a, a in a, a a prison outside of a prison when you think about it mm. because you you you're, you might be neighbors with a mur a killer. You might be neighbors with you know the biggest drug dealer in the, in, in the neighborhood. You might be neighbors with a prostitute, you you don't, you might be neighbors with a pastor or a pre or a preacher. You don't you don't know who you're gonna be neighbors with, and that's everybody within that community is is somebody. So you always on edge. You always you know on the lookout over your shoulder, but also you don't know what's coming next. And I think that's the that's the, the lack of hope that we have in those communities. Now that you are the Carmelo Anthony and you have the means to give back for several years, you have used your voice to speak out on social justice issues. You formed a partnership with Chris Paul and, and Dwayne Wade to create the Social Change Fund. And it's a philanthropic effort to invest in organizations that support people of color to advance criminal justice reform and expanded voting rights while also tackling racial inequities in housing and education. Having said all that, how how have your efforts made a difference so far? It's it's impactful uh, in, 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 in a sense. Um, I, I think the fact that we decided to create this social change fund, uh, myself, Dwayne, and, 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 and Chris Paul, it just shows you uh, that we're putting our money where our mouth at. You know, we we're really about making change. We're really about walking the walk. We're really about 
you know, putting ourselves on the front line to, to make change. And we all have our own different communities. We all grew up differently. We all have our different way of, of, of life. But when you can put, you know, when you can put all of that, that, that firepower together and really make change, it's better than doing it on our own. It's better than doing it as an individual. So we, we're working, man. We, we created the social change fund because we really felt like it was needed. We really wanted to take that next step, you know, especially after us getting on that stage and, and you know, the SBs and I think in 2016. Now this is like 2.0 to us. This is really, you know, part of our legacy. We can really say that we have, you know, something that we're working on or something that we created uh, for, for years to come. And th this is part of our legacy. This is a major part of our legacy, knowing that we're able to make change in, 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 in not just in our community, but in the world. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. How did the murder of George Floyd push things uh, in your efforts and push you personally? Well, I was already there, you know, personally. Mm -hmm. I, I was already there personally, mentally. Um, well, what I think the George Floyd tragedy did, it, it just, it sucked the air out, out of our community. It took the lid off of our community. It, it, it was time to go. It, it was time to, you know, it, it was time to fight back in, 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 in a sense, in a way. And it was disturbing. It, it was just, if you was a human being, you was disturbed by it. You know, whether you was white, black, brown, whatever, you was disturbed mm -hmm. by, by the George Floyd thing. And what we wanted to do is we didn't want to jump out there right away because we didn't know exactly how we wanted to approach it. So we was very strategic on how we went about creating a social change fund, why we created a social change fund and the different you know, different avenues of impact that we that we wanted to create and we wanted to have. And, you know, that's the George Floyd thing, really, because I think it got everybody's attention uh, where we was at in, in, in the world. Uh, you know, you COVID was going on. It was no sports. It, everybody was just sitting at home. Everybody was angry. <laughs> everybody was unhappy. And then every day we were seeing something different happening to our people in our community. So that was the last, that was the last straw. The George Floyd thing really just took the lid off of it and people exploded. You know, you're doing, you're doing something else um, with with Chris Paul, I believe it, it's the what's in your, what's in your glass. Um, is it a YouTube program and a podcast and something else? It's all of the above. It's it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's it's a media it's a media platform. That's what I like to call it. It's different forms of media. Um, you know, I, I started what's in your glass during quarantine. Um, we were just in the house, just hanging out on Mondays and getting guys on the phone or on Zooms and 
drinking wine and just, you know, just just talking, just having a good time, laughing, joking, t- telling stories. We was vibing and, you know, I, I, I saw the energy that was behind that. But I also realized that during that time, it was so much wine being consumed that <laughs> I had I, I had to tap. I had to tap into that some way, somehow. So, you know, we was we did our thing and we, we created, you know, what's in your glass. That was just supposed to be a quarantine show, just doing it on, on Monday, just having fun. And then, uh, you know, we, we molded it and it is what it is today. In what's in your glass, you you spent a lot of time talking about voting rights and the importance of voting. How much of a struggle is it to get to get people, to get black people specifically, um, and and poor people to get them inspired to vote, to to understand that their vote does indeed count? Well, it's, it's I mean, it's it's very important that we go out there and vote, especially the black community. Uh, but I think for so long we just been misinformed, or we wasn't we wasn't being taught the importance of, of voting. You know, you you hear something on voting here and there in school, they'll tell you to vote and just, you know, but you don't, I think now we're, we're more, much more informed on the people that we're voting for. We're actually doing our own, our own studying and our own, you know, research and our own homework on the people that, that we really truly are voting for. And I think it's more awareness around that now as, you know, whereas before it wasn't. Like we didn't, we didn't know nobody on the ballot. We just knew the president and the vice president. That was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right now, as, as you can see, we've smartened up. We, we, we got wiser. We, we got more knowledgeable of the people that's on the ballot. So now the people that we're voting for, we holding you to a higher, to, to, you know, to, we holding you to a higher accountability because we understand what we're voting for and what we want as a community. So there's no getting over on us no more. Uh, I think guys, you know, just our community is woke. People are, are, are getting smarter, wiser. People are starting to do their own research uh, and just figuring out what's you know near and dear to them. Let's talk back. I can't believe we're already running out of time, but we got to talk. We got to talk basketball. Um, you went to Syracuse um, in your only season at Syracuse. You went on to win the national championship. You said you wanted to stay for four years, but you received a nudge to leave by head coach Jim, uh, Jim Bum. Why so? He, he, I mean, I, I guess from a, from a, a basketball, purely basketball standpoint, I don't think there was anything else that I could accomplish, you know, from that standpoint, you know, coming in as a freshman, uh, winning a national championship, you know, guys go to school for four years and never even get close to that or have that experience. And for me to come in and do it, in one year, I understood why he was kicking me out. You know, that was his first championship, you know, in, in years. So he felt like he kind of got that burden off of him. He was at peace after that. And it, it was there was no more that I can do for him there. Uh, and it, I, I guess he figured that it was time for me to just get out and go to, go to the next level. But for me, I, I was just getting my feet wet on campus. So I wanted to stay. I wanted to have a good time. You know, I wanted to enjoy college and see exactly what college is supposed to be. Okay, so you got kicked out, but you got kicked out into into the into the pros. But one thing you you um, write about is that you were disappointed that you thought you know I think LeBron was the number one pick in your draft year. You thought you were going to be the number two pick 
uh, by the, the Detroit Pistons, but instead you were the number three pick um, by, the, by the Denver Nuggets. Um, why, I mean, were you fully expecting to be that no, the, the number two draft pick? I was, I was expect, I was, to my knowledge, I was expected to be the number two pick. Um, you know, I, I thought I was going to land in Detroit. I thought I was going to be in Detroit. I was actually, you know, preparing to be in Detroit. Uh, and then the business of the business of, of sports started to kick in. So I can speak, I can speak mm -hmm. on it you know, now because I, I, I understand it. I get it. Um, but back then I didn't, I was 19 years old. It was, it was something that I, I couldn't understand. It was something that I, I wouldn't understand. I just felt like I was let down again, which is which is a, a, a you know a, a through line in in my book. You know that's I talk about that a lot. I talk about being let down. I talk about you know being cold. I talk about not knowing or losing hope or not having confidence in in, in certain things and in certain people and not looking for not looking for much. So I talk about all these things, and as you can see, going into the draft, that was that was one prime example of that. Um, you've been on, and correct me if I'm wrong, now six professional basketball teams uh, over your career. Do you have any regrets changing teams so often? I don't regret it. I don't because a lot of times it was it was out of my control. You know, you just got to deal with the cards that, that as right. they come, and you got to roll the dice and see what happens. Some situations were better than others. You know, some I some I didn't like, some I loved. But I don't, re I don't regret it because if, if I didn't go through a lot of those things, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about writing this book because that, that kind of, you know, like I said, reignited me. It reignited my passion. It reignited a lot of things in, in my life. So I don't, I, don't, I don't live with regret. I try not to live with regret. Everything I go through is, is an experience. And speaking of experience, you're now um... – Having a new experience with your sixth professional team, you are joining your your friend LeBron James uh, on the LA Lakers. How excited are you to be re uh, united with him? I'm excited, man. It's, I mean, it's been a long time coming. You know, this is. I mean, we we going on 19 years in the in the NBA, man. It's it's that's a long time to be sitting here talking about. You know, <laughs> at, at, at this point in time in our 19th season together. You know, we we we're going to try to win an, uh, a world championship. So that's that's the exciting part. You know, that's that's really the exciting part. But the, also the the journey too. I think we we I think we forget about that. You know, and and because we forget about the journey and what it takes to get there and what it's going to take to lead up to that, we don't we don't embrace it. We don't enjoy those moments. And that's something that I'm I'm going to try to be better at at, at just enjoying moments. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that my my play little sister Samantha Tubman um, works on the Lakers. So if you you see Sam Tubman, tell her I said hi. In the little bit of time that we have left, what are you most proud of in your career? Honestly, I'm 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 most proud of being able to take a step back and analyze and reflect uh, on just my life, my career. You know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Uh, when they're actually still in the game. So I had an opportunity to, you know, step away from the game, reflect on the game, reflect on life, reflect on me, reflect on family, friends, and in, in, in general, and my community. And a lot of people don't, don't have that opportunity. So for me to be able to step away from the game and then come back, 
I mean, that's, that's, it's beauty in that, you know, and you have to find beauty in that. And that's something that I've that, that I found. Carmelo Anthony, I want to end on this note. In your book, again, entitled Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised, you wrote, and I quote, I'm a black kid from the bottom. I had to fight through some of the roughest housing projects in America. How did I, a kid who'd had so many hopes, dreams, and expectations beat out of him, make it here at all? Your life is a roadmap for young people who are living that same life. And so for those young people, what are your words for them? I don't want you to be afraid of growing up in those environments. And when I, when I say that, it's a beauty, like it's a, it's a different type of beauty. It's, uh, it's a peculiar type of beauty that, that, that exists in, in, in those environments, in those areas. And in order for you to understand that, you have to be from that. You have to know that. You, you have to see that. You have to experience that. I want you to have your own experiences. I can't tell you how to do something. I can't, you know, walk you through it. You have to, you have to experience your own experience. Everybody's experience is, is, is totally different. But what I will say, the purpose of, 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 of this memoir, of this book, is to shine light on a lot of those times and a lot of those situations, whether it was good times and bad times, but also show you how I was able to navigate that. Um, when you know times were hard, what what did I do? Did I did I fold or did I stand tall? Um, you know the fact that I didn't have no dream or goals and things like that uh, because of the lack of hope in, in in those environments. So my only thing, my advice to the, a lot of the guys or, or girls or just people that's in general, because my message is universal. Like it's, it's not just you don't have to be from Baltimore, you don't have to be from New York. It's it's where tomorrow's on promise is, is worldwide, is global. And I, I want people to understand that. And I want people to feel that when they when they read in this book. And I don't want you to feel like, you know, you 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 you're hopeless. And I, I I know the feeling, I know the mindset, I know what comes with that, but it's too much resources, it's too much uh, advice out there, especially today. Technology, you you can always find something. If there's a will, there's a way. And if, if that didn't mean nothing before. I think today that, that that means a lot. I lied. I'm going to squeeze in one more question. So you've got this multimedia platform called What's in Your Glass. I neglected to ask. So we know it's wine, but <laughs> which wine? It's red wine. I'll tell you that. It's red wine, but I'm not, you know, honestly, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just building. I'm just creating. I'm building. Um, I, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking the feedback. You know, I'm getting that back. Uh, and I'm just trying to just kind of build a community uh, and, a, and, a, and a fan base who want to take this journey with me. That's all. Carmelo Anthony, thank you very much for coming to Washington Post Live. The name of your book is Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. Uh, congratulations on this book. Thank you for writing it and for putting your, putting your whole self out there for people to see. Thank you very much for coming to Washington Post Live. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's produced by Julie Deppenbrock. We'll have new episodes for you every Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. Capehart J.